chapter 16. We're going to begin reading verse number 14. Leviticus chapter 16. When you have your spot there, if you go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God tonight. Amen. Leviticus chapter 16, begin reading with verse number 14. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil. And do that blood and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock. And sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. I want to talk to you a little bit tonight on this thought, the blood of Jesus in my cross. The blood of Jesus in my cross. Father, would you help us tonight, Lord? Oh, God, would you come? Would you make this thing real in the name of Jesus? God, let the anointing power of the Holy Ghost, God, let it have free course in this house tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. God bless you tonight. Jesus' blood in my cross. I had a message that I had thought I would preach when Brother Jake first asked me to preach uh, this service tonight. But I just didn't feel liberty, Brother Talbert, to go that direction. I felt God would have me go this direction. And Brother Jacob, for the last, what, nine, ten Wednesdays, he's been been teaching a series on biblical foundations, right? Back to the basics of what we believe, why we believe. And so I want to I try the best that we can tonight just to stay in that vein, stay in that vein of back to the basics, why we believe, what we believe. What doctrine do, do we believe? What, what doctrine is it that we most assuredly believe? Well, there's 16 fundamentals of truth uh, that from the church's website, victorytemple.org. Um, I went on there and I printed uh, this. I, I believe this is in line with the, with the Assemblies of God uh, doctrine. But, but we need to know this, guys. We need to know this, what we believe and why we believe it. The first thing is we believe that all Scripture is inspired of God. Amen. Can you say amen? We believe in the one true God who's revealed himself in the eternal, self-existent I Am. We believe in the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in the fall of man. We believe in the salvation of man. We believe in the ordinances of the church, baptism in water. And a holy communion. We do both of those ordinances here in this church. The baptism in the Holy Ghost. The initial physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Ghost. You will speak in tongues when you get filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Can you say amen? There's a a big war against that today, guys. I'm telling you. And if they can ever convince people of that, then nobody will ever be filled anymore. That's the warfare that we're in tonight. 
We believe in sanctification. We believe in the church and its mission. We believe in the ministry being a divine called, divinely called and scripturally ordained ministry uh, by our Lord. We believe in divine healing. We believe in the blessed hope. We believe in the millennial reign of Christ, the final judgment, and then finally the new heavens and the new earth. Amen. Out of those 16 fundamental truths that we believe, there are four of them that are what we call our cardinal doctrines. This is where the rubber meets the road, guys. Number one is salvation. Number two is a baptism in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Number three is we believe in divine healing. Can you say amen? God's still a healer. We, and then finally, fourthly, we believe in the second coming of Christ. Christ is coming back. He's coming back after his church. Can you say amen? Amen. Well, I, I want to take us all the way back, guys, to the beginning. And I'm going to read a few more scripture here. Uh, if you'll just bear with me. I believe this is going to be a help to a lot of people here tonight. Before, we, before I read this scripture, did you know that, that the fall of man was never God's plan? Amen. God never intended for man to fall, but man did fall, and he made a way of recovery for his initial plan. God, God had a plan from the beginning, and he still has that plan, and he will accomplish that plan. Amen. It's straight through the eternities. He's going he's gonna to accomplish what he started out, Brother Talbert, to accomplish. Amen. He doesn't have to go to plan B, C, or D. No, sir. He's on plan A. God's plan A. He's still on that plan. And I, just while we're right here, let me tell you, I'm going to tell you that the God's plan A for your life is still on the table tonight. Some of you may have heard, well, you've, you've done thrown away plan A of God for your life. You might as well resort to plan B, C, or D. No, sir. God's plan A for your life is still on the table. I don't care what the devil has to say to you. Amen. Exodus chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 2 through 13. It's going to be the Passover. This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak you unto all the congregations of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month thou shalt take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for every house. Can you say that Christ is that lamb? Amen. This is a foretelling of what will be. Amen. It's talking about Christ. And if the household be too little for the lamb, that lamb will never be too little for that house, I can promise you. But if the household be too little for the lamb, let he and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. How many knows God has divine order? He's very meticulous about the way he does things. Everything with God is in order. Amen. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two sides, side post and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat and they shall eat the flesh in that night roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs shall they eat it 
Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the puritans thereof. And, and ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning, ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall you eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And all of the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Are you thankful for the blood tonight? Redemption is big enough to occupy a very large place in our vision. But we must know that man was not created to be redeemed. The fall of man is a tragic dip in God's timeline of events and purposes. The atonement, the atonement by the blood, is the recovery process whereby our sins are blotted out and into that, that possession that Adam did not possess. It was God's intent to have a straight line down through the ages. He has not forsaken that purpose. Can, can you say amen? God still has a straight line down through the ages. Believers, you and I, we're prone to allow God's recovery work to overshadow His realizing work in our lives. This is a tragic mistake, for we must see both in their proper place. Selfishness has made man more alive to what God does for him than to what he was destined to be in God. I believe that's why a lot of people live a lot of times discouraged. They, they have a wrong view of God. We, we, we come to believe that God's here to serve us. No, it's not right. We're here to serve God. Amen. We're, we're, we're here to be created. To be, he, he destined us to be made into His image. I want to look tonight at both of the aspects uh, of this. Through the cross, the work of the devil was destroyed. Amen. Redemption, the release from bondage of sin and the effects of the fall was provided at Calvary. Through the cross, provision was made whereby man can once again realize God's purpose for his being. We must see then how the blood and the cross are two aspects that are remedial. With the blood, God deals with all that Adam had done. With the cross, God deals with what Adam is in his fallen state. Amen. That, that cross is what deals with what you and I have become in our fallen state. Amen. In this message, we look at the blood. The church must see what the blood means to God. Have you ever thought about it from that aspect? What does the blood of Jesus look like to God? Have you ever, had, you ever thought about that? What's, what's God's evaluation of the blood of His Son? Almost tremble. Talk about such a subject. But the church must see what the blood of Jesus means to God and in what sphere he intends that blood to operate. 
in the passages in our scripture that we read, we see the blood is primarily for God. When we know the value that God places upon the blood, we can then believe His word regarding the blood. When we consider the Passover described in Exodus chapter 12, which we read, the blood was put on the lintel and on the doorpost of every house. The lamb was to be eaten inside that house that had the blood applied to the outside. God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Clearly, this blood was not meant to, to, for man to see, but it was for God to see. Amen. Man, man was in the house. God's going to pass by. He's the one that's going to see that blood. That blood was for God to see. It wasn't present for man to feel. It wasn't present for man to understand it. It was meant for man to believe it. Can you say amen? It was an act of faith that they were to apply this blood to the doorpost and to all those who were in the household so that they could rest safely. The blood would mean to God exactly what he told them. It was not necessary for them to understand anything more. The sign of the blood was God's. By faith, they rested in that. Can, did you know that still holds true tonight? The blood of Jesus that covers your sin, that covers my sin, that sets me free. Amen. When, when, when God looks down on me, he either sees a rebel or he sees the blood of Jesus that's been applied to my life. Amen. What, what does he see, guys, when he looks at us? That's, that's something we need to consider. The Day of Atonement teaches us a little more. On this day, the sin offering for Israel was made public in the court of the tabernacle. The sacrifice was in full view of the people. The blood was taken into the holy place to be sprinkled before the Lord seven times. This transaction was between the high priest and God, away from the eyes of the people who were going to be the beneficiaries of it. So the high priest, a type of our Lord Jesus Christ, in obedience to God, made atonement. The people believed this act would mean to God exactly what God said it would mean. They knew they'd be forgiven. Amen. They, they had faith in the blood of Jesus. From these passages then, we understand the blood was offered in response to God's command. It was not for the human mind to grasp or the human heart to feel what it meant. Man was simply to obey and believe God's promises concerning his son's precious blood. People are often brought under a sense of guilt over some sin that looms larger in their minds, over, larges more than the blood of Jesus in their minds. They think that their sin is too big, it's too dirty, it's too bad, and they think somehow that their sin is that God's blood the blood of Jesus can't forgive that sin. Much of this goes on, goes on in our Pentecostal churches. Have you ever met anybody like that? The problem with these poor souls is that they're trying to feel the value of the blood, trying to subjectively estimate what the blood has done. Listen, that's a, that's a huge mistake. We can never do that. It, do, it doesn't work that way. The blood is first for God to see. Amen. We then have to accept God's evaluation of that blood. If God said that the blood cleanses me, then I'm clean. Amen. When the blood has been applied, God's evaluation, it doesn't matter what I think, 
It doesn't matter what I feel. I don't have to understand it all. All I've got to know and rest in is, and have faith in is that the blood of Jesus makes me clean from all of my sin. Amen. We've dealt with people in whom it was evident God had convicted them of sin. Now he wants to save them. But they don't really believe God can save them because they've been so wicked. Have you ever heard that type of situation? I have. I've actually talked to people who thought that they've been too wicked that they couldn't be forgiven. If God convicts you of your sin, no matter what kind of sinner you are, you may have been a mass murderer and killed hundreds of people. That doesn't matter at all to God. If he comes to you with conviction of your sin, the only thing that you have to do is believe in the blood of Jesus, and that blood will take care of your situation. Amen. There's nothing that that blood can't cover. There's nothing that that blood can't heal and touch and remedy. Amen. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. God's sovereignty in our lives is seen in this situation. Until we accept his word and his promise unquestionably, we'll suffer confusion and doubt. We must have the right to rule and govern the believer's life. God must have the right to rule and govern the believer's life according to his own terms. Not our terms, but God's terms. Amen. We've got to do it God's way, guys. Amen. Not, not ours. God can never make his revelation clear as long as there's a point of controversy in us that demands further evidence. I've known people who demanded God to show them some kind of vision as evidence of their salvation. You ever know anybody like that? God can't ever do anything for anybody like that that questions. They, they're always trying to understand this. I heard Brother Clendenin say one time, the, the highest form of knowledge on this earth is knowing sometimes there's things that you can never know. Amen. There's some things that we, it's just beyond our ability to understand, but we have to have faith in the blood of Jesus. Amen. It's one's unquestioning faith in, in the promises of God concerning the atonement and obedience to known truth that precedes clear understanding of our future steps. Man, you and I, we're prone to try shortcuts. We leave him stranded and questioning. God brings the prodigal back to divine order only when that prodigal returns to cry. I've sinned against heaven and against thee. I always get talking about that prodigal son. I, that's, that's a big story of my life, but I can always see that father sitting out on that porch every morning. He'd go out there and he'd sit on that porch. He's watching for that boy up that road. Amen. He's watching. The father never left the house to go get the boy. The boy had to come back home to the father. And when he came, when he's out there in that pig pen, he came to himself and he said, I'm going to go to my father. My father will forgive me. There's no shortcuts in this. Standing guilty, condemned in his conscience, the prodigal needs to be more than bitter about what he's done. He's gotta, we've got to be more than sorry for what we've done. We need forgiveness. Amen. The blood is revealed to the repentant soul as legal ground for our forgiveness. Can you say amen? He doesn't have to know why. He just accepts what the Bible says about that blood. In Ephesians 1 and 7, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. The blood is both a crisis 
and a continual cleansing. Since the blood satisfies the demands of God, the believer says amen. The crisis of being justified by the blood is like entering into the gate. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holy of holies, let us draw near. In Hebrews chapter 10. We are not saved on one basis and maintain fellowship on another. When we come to Christ, the blood saves us. It is as if we never sinned. How many of you remember Pastor Jacob preaching about being justified? Being justified by the blood, just as if we never sinned. Amen. That's what it means to be justified, just as if we never sinned. The blood provides continual cleansing. As we walk in the light, as he is in the light, the blood continuously cleanses us. As we walk with God, God puts us in right standing with the Father. He, he forgives our sin. The blood cleanses. But then as we go and the sanctification process begins to work in our lives, we can never let the sanctification process of our lives, however difficult it may be, there's things that God has to deal with, but we can never let that override our being justified by the blood of the Lamb of God. Amen. We have to know that we're justified by the blood of Jesus. And as we, and in so doing, we're in right standing with the Father. Amen. Now, there's things in me, there's things in you that God's got to deal with. That sanctification process has got to play out. And sometimes that's not an easy thing. There, there's, there's, but, but God will always come with grace. He'll always come with mercy. He'll never demand something of you that he doesn't give you the power to do. Can you say amen? He's a good father. If he puts his finger on something in your life, and he said, now, son, it's time for you to deal with this. And he comes with all the grace and all the mercy and everything everything that you need to accomplish that he comes with. Amen. But we can we have to remember during that sanctification process, we may look pretty pretty ugly. Amen. There may be things in there that God put he may God may allow us to come into a situation, Sister Sandy, that our buttons get pushed. There may be something rise up in me. My God, I thought I dealt with that years ago. I never thought that thing would be back, but guess what it is? And God allows certain situations so that button can be pushed. Because God don't want you to live with that bitterness in your heart. Amen. That unforgiveness in your heart. That whatever it is, it may be. What some some it's different for everybody, but whatever that is, whatever that you may that you may have locked it away long years ago, somewhere deep down in the recesses of your soul. But God at some point, I can promise you, God's gonna make sure that we we face up to what's in our lives. Can you say amen? God, God's going to allow a situation to come through the sanctification process. And you've got to remember, when this happens, you're still a child of God. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean God is angry with you. It doesn't mean that you've sinned. It just means that God is making you more into the image of his son. Amen. And during those times, you can never, ever, ever let that process, because as human beings, it's easy to do. Brother, no, it's easy when God's dealing with something in my life to just throw up my hands and say, man, I might as well quit. I, I thought I was over that years ago. No, but I have to remember, Sister Trahan, that I'm justified by the blood of the Lamb of God. And I stand here as clean and as pure and as right and in right standing in God's eyes than I was the day I was born. Amen. I'm as innocent as a newborn baby.
it may show a misunderstanding of the sphere in which the blood operates to pray like this. And we've all prayed this way, and it's not wrong to pray this way. Lord, cleanse my heart from sin by the blood. It's not wrong to pray that way. But listen to this. The heart, God says, is desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9. God must do something more fundamental than cleanse us. He must give us a new heart. Would you like to have a new heart? Amen. The flesh is never to be cleansed. It must be crucified. Can you hear Brother Clendenin saying S-E-L-F? I can't tell you how many times I heard my old bishop say that. Oh, I love that. <clears throat> if I could hear him say it again, that, that, that sin self. It must be, you can't, you can't deal with it, you can't rehabilitate it. It's got to die, folks. It's got to die. It's got to die, and it's, we, it has to come under subjection to Christ and his blood. Amen. His flesh must die. We can, we can never make excuse for our flesh. We can never make excuse for our little petty attitudes or our little petty whatever it is that we may be. No, there's no room for that. We're going on with God. Amen. That thing's got to die. The work of God within us must be something wholly new. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. In Ezekiel 36, 26, there's a difference in seeing the blood as a cleansing agent and seeing it as a legal satisfaction to God. The blood is not intended to deal with sin in a subjective way. Its efficiency is objective which is to be seen by God on the doorpost of our hearts. How many of you have ever been in a courtroom before? I've been in a lot of them. And I always get this picture in my mind when we talk about being justified, being legally justified uh, by the blood of, of the Lord. I've seen criminal cases just like you have. And a lawyer will come up with some legal reason why that his client is not guilty, right? And I've seen them, man, and, and you can tell when that begins to click, whatever that thought is. And he works his way up to it, and he works his way up to it, and he works his way up to it. And finally, he says, this is why that my client should be acquitted of all charges because he has legal justification for what he did. Can you imagine in the courtroom of heaven, in the throne room of God, the blood of Jesus, when we're on trial, that devil, he's the accuser of the brethren. And he'll come and he, he, he will prosecute you to the fullest, I can tell you. I mean, he just never quits. It's whatever he can find. He's going to pick at, he's going to gnaw at, he's going to try to prosecute you. He's going to try to persecute you. But the blood of Jesus stands in our defense. Amen. The blood of Jesus. I can just see that courtroom when, when the devil and all of his accusations come. And they start just throwing them all over that room. I can see my Savior. Stand up. And he say, my blood has made him free. He's legally justified. Let him go. He's free. Amen. What a powerful thought. The Hebrew passage concerning the work of the blood does make reference to the heart but is actually as it relates to a man's conscience. 
having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, actually is what the Bible says, signifying something other than the cleansing of the heart. Do you understand that? That'll help you if you get a hold of it. It means something comes between God and makes me and me, which makes which causes me to have an evil conscience whenever I seek to approach God. The prick of my conscience is a constant reminder of the barrier of sin. I see in God's word that the blood of Jesus was shed for my forgiveness. When I trust and accept what that blood means to God, my conscience is clear. The sense of guilt is removed. Then I can come boldly before the throne of grace. Sister Carolyn, Brother Danny, if you come, please. Many have tried to cleanse away the old nature, the flesh, the impurities of life. However, death, not cleansing, is God's answer to the fall of man. We must die to ourselves. It's the cross that has the effective work. It's the cross where Jesus died, but then it's the cross where I die. Amen. The cross deals with this old man. God puts the whole of the old man in the grave. How blessed it is to see confused believers who once testified that the blood had cleansed them and made them pure to be finally set free by the truth of death on the cross. Others never found the way of death by the cross and have consequently fallen into disappointment and confusion because this old man refused to be cleansed. Let's not go that route, guys. Let's die to ourself. Let's die to our flesh. Let's not just cover, cover it up. Let's deal with it and let's crucify it and let's get it under the blood. Amen. How many of you ever heard of the old saying putting lipstick on a pig? heard that well you 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 put lipstick on it you put perfume on it you can do whatever else you want to it and it may smell good for just a minute but it won't be long it's gonna be out there wallowing in the mud why that's what its nature is that's exactly what it's gonna do we cannot let that old nature live it must die we must be crucified with Christ God's only remedy for the old man is death. God does not ask us to have faith in something that doesn't work. Did you hear me? We cannot convince ourselves that the blood has cleansed us when the old man continues to assert his unclean passions. However, our faith can rest securely in the fact that God has accepted the sprinkling of the blood. Our conscience is clear. We've been washed in the pure water of the Word of God. And we're living and walking in the light as He Himself is in the light. We have fellowship with God. The blood of Jesus continuously cleansing us. His Son, the blood of Jesus continually cleansing us. Cleansing our minds, cleansing our bodies, cleansing our souls, cleansing our spirit, cleansing our consciousness from all sin and guilt. Would you stand with me, please?
The Bible says, if any man will come after me, let him first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Guys, Christ lays it out. We can't have the world and God too. Doesn't work. God demands that we make a choice. We can have him or we can have the world, but we can't have both. Can you say amen? The blood, Jesus' blood, our cross, and the name of the Lord Jesus. Those are the weapons of our warfare. The blood of Jesus is the ground, the legal justified ground that he has secured for me to stand on. In my spiritual life, I can stand secure, justified on the ground that I'm justified by the blood of the Lamb of God. It's the cross that's the instrument against my flesh. It's the cross that deals with my imperfections. The sanctifying work of the cross, whatever it is that God's not pleased with in this life, I can't cover it up. I can't just throw something on top of it. I can't bury it. I can't, it's got to die. That's the only remedy for it. It's got to die. The blood of Jesus, the cross against myself, and at the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the devil and all of his imps have to bow in every situation of life. Can you say amen? That's the three weapons of our warfare. If you don't get anything else out of this message, you remember that. The blood, the cross, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and you can live victorious in this life. Amen. These altars are open. Let's find us a place. Let's, 